Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now get any breakfast sandwich for just 2 bucks. Available only through the app. Mobile order and pay available at participating McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors. About bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. And so when we look at the truth that God has called us, I believe, to be a people that recognize that change is part of our, our DNA, so to speak. It's part of our destiny, right? God wants us to change, right? What happens if you don't change? Well, really, you regress. If we don't change, if we're not moving forward, we are actually regressing. So as Christians, we're called to be people that have faith that God is a God of change. The Lord has put this hope in us. It's a living hope, the Bible calls us, that we can experience profound change in our lives. That we, we don't have to stay the same. Our life doesn't have to be as it is but we can actually experience newness in Christ Jesus. Let's make it our aim in 2019 not to regress, not to even stay still, but to progress, to move forward. And I love the word of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.13. This is the Passion Translation. Paul says this, However, I do have one compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future instead. Wow, that's a good word. That is a good word. Let's forget the past and let's move forward. Let's focus on the, on, on the future and what God has in store for our lives. Amen? But forgetting the past does not mean we ignore the lessons that the Lord was trying to teach us in prior seasons. In fact, when you study the Bible... You know, there's, there's entire psalms, like Psalm 106, for example, where God says they did not remember. They forgot what I did, how I led them, my power that was demonstrated. He says, they forgot, they forgot. They, they didn't remember. They didn't recall all of the things that I had done in their lives, how I was so faithful to answer them, to provide for them, to rescue them, and they just forgot all about it. So a biblical worldview of, of dealing with the past certainly includes uh, not living in it, but in the sense, but also we have to learn from it, right? So don't forget about it in the sense that you neglect the, to learn the lessons that God was trying to teach you in the past, in, for example, last year. But on the other hand, don't stay stuck there. Even if it's like, you know, because you made you failed because of errors. Don't stay stuck there. Remember, God is merciful. He wants to give you a fresh start. But on the other 
uh, sense too. Don't, don't, you know, rest in your laurels. Well, last year was so amazing, was so good. I encountered God in, in such a way, and I don't know if it can get any better than that. Well, you know, I can tell you, it can't get better. The Bible promises that God is a God of mercies, of new mercies. We go from glory to glory, strength to strength. God has more for you than what you've ever experienced before. You might say, well, I remember when I was first a Christian. Wow, I was so close to God. I was so on fire for the Lord. But, you know, in the past few years, I've just kind of fallen from that and, and, and I've forsaken my first love. I want to tell you today that God has so much more for you. God has a new season. He has a greater level of intimacy with him that he wants you to experience. And he has many promises yet to be fulfilled and appropriated by you. If you will believe him, and if you will not rest in your laurels, neither will you be paralyzed by your past, by your mistakes or, or the things that have happened, the pain that people have inflicted upon you, whatever it is. Don't stay there, guys. Don't be tethered to your past. But cut the ties, sever the ties, and move forward and watch what God's going to do in your life in 2019. Now, last week, I started a message where we began to talk about the children of Israel and how... At the end of 40 years in the wilderness, they're about to cross into the promised land. If you look at the book of Deuteronomy, if you study it, really, the book of Deuteronomy is God saying, hey, guys, remember everything that happened in the wilderness these past 40 years? I want you to review it before you're able to move into your destiny. So here they are. They're about to cross over the River Jordan, literally possess all that God promised them, the promised land, Canaan, the land flowing of milk and honey. But God says, before you go in and possess and take possession of this land, I want you to look back and I want you to review these past 40 years. Let's look here at verse number 2 and 3 of Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you. Wow to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it. Who made them hungry? Right. He did it to teach him that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So God took them into the wilderness to test them. The wilderness was the place of testing. How many wish when you were in school, university, or whatever, that you could get your degree without being tested? Huh? How many wish? Okay. But that's fantasy land, right? And the truth is, guys, there's always going to be tests. There's always going to be tests. There's no way to be promoted without, first of all, being prepared. God tests his people, and particularly the four areas that he tested Israel, what supplies to us as well as the outcome or the purpose of these testing. Number one, to humble them. God values humility. Number two, to expose their hearts. Wow. Number three, to prove or to test their character. Number four, to teach them obedience. Will you obey me? And really, number four is, is the culmination of every area. God wants to humble you, expose your heart, test your character. Why? 
So you will ultimately learn obedience. You will ultimately understand that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that you obey him, whether you obey his commandments, whether you're going to keep his commandments or not. So God is testing us. He wants to know, are we going to obey him? Are we going to keep his commandments? Very, very important to God. And as I said, there are many today who want the promise without, first of all, being prepared. They want assets without assessment. They desire blessing without testing. And this is not the way it works, guys. God, God who tests his people. Repeatedly through the scripture, God says so many things about testing us. You know, in Jeremiah, he says, the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And then the Lord says in the next verse, I, the Lord, test the heart. I test your heart. I want to show you your heart. You see, God knows what's in our heart. He's not testing it so he can really see what we're like. God knows what we're like, guys. But what is he doing? He's trying to reveal to us the true nature and condition of our hearts. Most of us think we're pretty good. Come on. We really do. We think we're pretty good. We're not that bad, right? Yeah, we do. And then there's some people that are really down on themselves. I, I get that. But the truth is, God tests us. He shows us our hearts because he wants us to understand that he has so much more for us. And he wants to bless us, but we have to learn obedience. Look, I could stand up here this morning as many pastors do, across pulpits all over the world. And I could tell you that 2019 is going to be your year of breakthrough. I'm going to tell you that 2019 is going to be your year when God opens up the heavens and the blessings of God come down so much that you won't be able to contain it and hype you up and make you all these promises. But the truth is, let's look to the Word. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, if you are going to be blessed, obedience is a prerequisite. If you look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 1, God says, I am going to bless you. I am going to prosper you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch over your life. I'm going to secure you on all sides, but you're going to obey me. You have to obey my commandments. You have to do what I'm asking you to do. You see, there are many today who wrongly believe that the promise or the purpose of the cross is to make them comfortable in life rather than to conform them to Christ's life. You see, let me be clear. God is more interested in conforming you to the image of his son than seeing you be successful in the natural. God is more concerned about conforming you to the image, the nature, the character of his son than he is on you being successful and the natural. Christianity is all about a people being raised up who are like Jesus. When you read, when you hear what a lot of ministers preach today, you never know that. They tell you about how God is heaven for you, how God wants to bless you, and how God wants to do all of these things. But there's no focus on the truth that as believers, we're called to be like Jesus. We have to, we, guys, we can't get around this. 
The truth is we have to be a people that surrender, that yield ourselves to Christ. And that takes commitment. There's investment required if we're going to experience all that God has for us. It requires that we make an investment of our time, of our heart, that we surrender to him, that we seek him, that we, we respond in, in obedience to his word. All of these things are non-negotiable if we're going to experience the blessing of God. The truth is success has destroyed more people than hardship has. Success has destroyed more people than hardship has. And this is exactly what God was saying to the children of Israel. You're about to move into the promised land. Let's look at Deuteronomy 8, 6 through 14. You're about to cross into the promised land, and things are going to change for you. But when you go there, obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land where food is plentiful, nothing is lacking, wheat, barley, grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, all the good stuff. Where you And when you have eaten your fill, listen to this, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Look at this verse, verse 11. But that is a time to be careful. Wow. That's a time to be careful. Why? Because he says this, beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Why? Don't become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Wow. What a strong word, God says. In fact, if you continue to read the chapter, he says, if you forget me, if you neglect me, if you don't obey me, if you don't fear me, if you don't honor me, I will destroy you just like I destroyed the nations of, in Canaan. Wow. I will destroy you like I destroyed Pharaoh. I will destroy you like I destroyed all the, uh, my enemies if you forget me if you don't love me, if you don't obey me. You see, guys, God is looking for people that are really his. As I look around the world, and it's not just in our Western nations where there's prosperity, but I see it in other nations as well. I look and I, I can clearly identify there's, there's a, a, a deep-rooted, a deep-seated issue. We have so many people that profess to be Christians but they don't understand what it means to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They're church, churchgoers, but they're not disciples. They go to church, and they sing about Jesus. They praise his name, but in their heart, they have idols. In their heart, they have set up their own gods, their own desires, their own ambitions. And the Bible is very clear that this is not going to be acceptable. You know, there's things that God said. I'm going to be a little bit strong this morning. Is it okay? But I promise you, I'm only going to preach what the Word says. In Matthew, Jesus says, people are going to stand before God one day, and they're going to say, 
Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons? Did we not heal the sick? Did we not do all these things? And he's going to say, depart from me, worker of iniquity, I never knew you. Another place, Jesus says, why do you say, or why do you call me Lord? Why do you say, Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do the things that I've commanded you? You see, there's a place where in the new covenant, and people teach that grace has, has no responsibility to be obedient. That's a false grace, guys. It's not biblical. The grace of God empowers us to live a holy life. The grace of God empowers us to fulfill what God expects of us as believers so that we can overcome, that we can live above sin, that we can, we can destroy the works of the devil. We can be holy. We can be pure. You know, I, I, I see people, you know, particularly um, the younger generation at times in certain places and certain churches, and they come to church because, like, their parents make them come to church. Have you ever been there? All right. Maybe when you were younger, maybe that's the reality of you today. But you don't have a personal relationship with God. You don't know the Lord yourself. And for you, coming to church is boring. Why? Because you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with him. God wants you to have a relationship with him. And it's not just young people. Oh, there's people who sit in churches week after week. They've been coming for, you know, for years, and they're at a place where the relationship with God has become stagnant. There's no joy. There's no peace. There's no fire excitement, you know, and, and, and you can tell when people are losing their, their zeal for God because they don't come to church, they sleep in, the, and you see people doing so many other things, but Jesus isn't the center of their lives. Jesus is not their first love. They're so committed to all these different things, and they've lost their zeal. And you know what? I believe that for many of us, it's because of our prosperity, our comfort, and that we've become complacent. We forgot about God. We, we've not been seeking God the way we should. And he wants us to awaken that. He wants us to change that in our lives in 2019. What if Jesus really became first in your life? In fact, let's, let's rephrase that, because if there's a number one, then there's got to be a number two. And really, Jesus doesn't want to be, you know, have a number two. He's saying, will he be the center of our life? From him, everything, right, flows. In him we live, we move, we have our being. Will you, in this year, allow him to really be the center of your life? Will you remember his faithfulness? Will you not forget his goodness? Will you walk in humility? Will you respond to those, the work of the Spirit who convicts you and exposes your heart and tests your character and nature? Will you humble yourself and will you fully obey what God says to you in his word and by his Spirit? Let's make sure that we don't forget about God. Let's make sure. We say, well, I, I always think about God. The, the, we're not talking about that. The people that he writes this to, I'm sure God was on their mind. But he's saying, you're not giving me that place of honor. You're not giving me that place where you fully are uh, giving me preeminence in your life.
what happens? God says, I want you to look back. This last year was not a waste for any of us. And some of you say it was okay and really no, no significant issues, no, no dramas. You know, I've got a bit of traction even moving forward into 2019. Or some of you, it might have been, well, it was terrible, and I don't ever want to experience what I experienced last year. Regardless of where you're at, it wasn't a waste. There was a purpose, and you can learn from what happened, even from your own mistakes. Guess what? I made some mistakes last year. I know you find that hard to believe, but I did, one or two at least. And I know that you made some mistakes too. And the truth is that God wants us to learn. So when we fail, what do we do? We fail forward. So don't allow your past, your pain, even your prosperity to paralyze you. But allow your past to actually propel you into a greater future. God has something amazing for you. But don't give up. Don't stop believing. There's this verse in, in the book of Zephaniah, and, and it's really astounding. You know, God says, these people, and I'm paraphrasing, they become complacent. They're like wine that's settled on its dregs. And he said, they actually say, the Lord will not do evil. In other words, there's no fear of God, no sense, oh, well, if I do, if I sin, if I do evil, there's no consequence. The Lord will not do evil. In other words, the Lord won't judge me. But they also say this, the prophet says, neither do they say the Lord will do good. In other words, they've stopped believing that God is a God who will bring us into our destiny, a God of kindness, a God of mercies, a God that fulfills and honors his word. They stop believing that, and they stopped expecting him to be good. Wow. Egypt, the children of Israel, think about it. You might say, well, you know, life has not been good for me. Look at these guys. Egypt, slaves, what they went through, the hardship, the oppression. And God sends his servant Moses. Moses, go and tell my people that I'm going to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh. I'm going to bring them in to a place of abundance and goodness. Right? And so Moses begins to preach this message to them initially. They're stirred, they're excited, but then as things didn't happen quickly and they began to see that Pharaoh even treated them more harshly, they began to doubt, they began to complain, they began to say, I don't know who you're hearing from, this God called I am, but I don't know, Moses, where you got this information, but it certainly doesn't seem to be accurate because nothing's happening. In fact, things are getting worse. Hello. Have you ever been there? Have you ever received a prophetic word? God says he's going to do this in your life, blah, blah, blah. And, and you're like, yes, Lord, bring it on. And then things get worse. And a year goes by, maybe two years, maybe ten years. And you're wondering, like, was that even God? And the truth is, look in his word. What does the word say? If it says... It's, if it's biblical, then it was God. You don't have to doubt it. It's his plan. But why 
didn't come to pass? Why has it delayed? Well, we're going to look at that today. Because being a people who understand the ways of the Lord is more important than experiencing the works of the Lord. Psalm 3 verse 7 says, Moses knew his ways, but the children of Israel saw his works. It's interesting, isn't it? Moses knew his ways. Well, the children of Israel had witnessed his works. The children of Israel had witnessed the miracles. Going back to Egypt, right? God says, okay, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out. And so 10 plagues, finally, Pharaoh lets them go. They, re- they are released. They leave Egypt. They go out into the wilderness. And while they are in the wilderness, what ends up happening is instead of just moving right into the place of promise that God had for them, they're locked in there, so to speak. They're locked into the desert. God had a purpose. In fact, I said this last week. If you really look at what the Lord said to Pharaoh through his prophet Moses, he never said to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can enter into the land flowing of milk and honey into the promised land. Actually, it says this, tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they will worship me in the wilderness. One other time, it says that they will hold a feast for me in the wilderness. So what does that mean? God is more concerned about our intimacy with him than he is about blessing us. So God says, before I bring you from Egypt, the place of not enough, into Canaan, the place of more than enough, I'm going to bring you into the wilderness and teach you that I'm enough. Because in the, in the wilderness, they had just enough. Daily, daily. I mean, can't we collect like extra manna and just save it up so we don't have to go out the next day? And God said, well, no. So they give that a go, and it doesn't work, does it? The manna rots, right? So God actually says on the Sabbath, you're not going to collect it, but on the day before the Sabbath, there'll be enough to carry you through. Sabbath is rest, isn't it? Sabbath is trusting God, but ultimately understanding this, that before we experience all that God has for us, we have to be tested. And if we, and if we are going to be promoted, we have to pass the test. So how did God test Israel? Well, it's interesting. God actually says here in Deuteronomy 8.2, look back over all the way I led you these past 40 years. And in the Hebrew language, it means this. Look back over every pathway, every roadway and that I led you along. Now, he could have taken them from Egypt into Canaan. It's only about 250 miles, 400 kilometers and they could have done it. There was a super highway in that day that went from Ramses, Egypt, into the Promised Land, on south of the Mediterranean Sea. They could have done it in less than a month. But God says, no, I'm not going to take you the easiest way. I'm going to take you one of the most difficult ways because I have a purpose for you going into the wilderness. I'm going to prepare you. And in fact, God says, if you were to face some of your enemies right now, you're not ready for it. And so I have to take you in the wilderness and prepare you. Because remember in Egypt, not only had they lost 
they were laborers. They were slaves, right? So they lost not only the will to fight, but they also lost the skill to fight. They had to be trained. And some of us, the reason why God's saying, I'm not bringing you into your destiny yet is because there are foes that are too formidable for you to face. You're not ready yet to handle those things. And so God says, I have to increase your capacity, and I have to prepare you before I'm able to bring you in. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to give you, you know, a sense of, of, of resolve and, and increase your morale and, and teach you how to engage in these battles. So God says, so let's take the more difficult way because I'm going to take you into the wilderness to train you. Egypt was the place of destitution. Terrible. Canaan would be the place of dominion. Wow. Dominion. We love that, don't we? Canaan is the place of dominion. What was Canaan? Canaan, the promised land, is the place where they would experience the fulfillment of every one of God's promises and the fullness of his provision. Wow. God particularly said, when I bring you into Canaan, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you rest from your enemies. I'm going to allow you to settle. I'm going to give you peace, and, and you'll be able to rest in security. Come on now, anybody looking forward to that? I mean, sometimes it's in the mind, it's in the soul. And yet, he says, but when you come in, he said, not only will I do that, he said, but I will prosper you, I will bless you, I will give you abundance. But before I can take you from the place of destitution to the place of dominion, I've got to take you to the place in the wilderness known as the place of discipleship. So I need to teach you some lessons. I need to train you in the wilderness. I need to restore to you the will and the skill so that you're able to walk in and live in that place of abundance that I have for you. I want to do so much through you, my son, my daughter. I want to reveal my glory through you. But I need to train you. I need to prepare you. So I'm going to take you into a season, a time of testing. And I'm going to deal with specific things in your life. In fact, some of us, our whole life is a blind spot. God says, you're blind. There's areas in which you don't see. And I want to change you, and I, I want to reveal to you things about yourself. These are things that some of us, we've just done it all our life. This is who I am. This is my personality. This is the way my mother was, my father was, and, and so I do this as well. And, and then we, we just live in a sense of, of, of toxicity, and, and we're not dealing with those things in our lives. And God's saying, I want to change you, and I'm going to have to expose some things in your life so that you will recognize your need to lay it down and become more like you, me. So God says, I'm going to take you into the wilderness. Even though 40 years was not his original plan, there was a season that was clearly mapped out for them. Some scholars say it could have been six months. Others say 18 months. We don't know exactly. When they were in Kadesh Barnea and they were about to cross over, you know, there's 
Some indication that might have been about 18 months into the journey when they sent out the spies. But the truth is, it was in God's plan for them to be there 40 years. Why? Because they didn't learn. They were not listening. They weren't learning, and they had not learned the lessons, what he was trying to teach them. In fact, this is what God says in Numbers chapter 14, verses 20 to 23. That God said, I brought you into the wilderness to test you, to approve you. To approve you, right? But it actually had the opposite effect. The wilderness disqualified them. Moreover, in the wilderness, the Bible says that the children of Israel ended up testing the Lord ten times. Think about this, okay? You're a, te- you're, you're a teacher, and, you know, right now in our school of ministry, we've, got, we've just finished a, a second semester, and we've got all these students. We even have international students that study, and I'm getting these messages and these emails. Can you, uh, you know, tell me about this? Can you do this? And, and some of the students are asking me basically to turn a blind eye, you know, to say, okay, you don't have to complete this assessment. <laughs> You know, just, just kind of, yeah, just let it, let it, you know, and can you give me an extra time? And, I, and so I'm, I'm like, I can't do that. And in fact, guys, the, the stip, you know, it's very clear the instructions of what you're expected to do. And, and so what ends up happening is, is it's almost at the point where I'm being tested. <laughs> My patience is being tested. We give you extra time. We've told you what to do. And, oh, but can I just, you know, be exempted from this? Can I, I? No, no, no. Can I just do this? No, no, you can't just do that. You've got to do everything. And so God is saying, when I'm testing you, you can't look for shortcuts. You can't cut corners. And God says that when you end up not, you know, doing what I've told you to do and not responding to the testing the way you should, God says, you actually end up testing me. Can you imagine that? The student says to the teacher, hey, you know, I'm not going to do this test. I'm not going to write this examination. I'm not going to do this assessment. How about you do it for me? Right? That's a student demanding the teacher take the test instead of them. And this is what God says. God actually is very clear in his word that he sent them in the wilderness to test them. In fact, there were 10 specific tests that he brought them through. Let's look here in Numbers 14, 20 through 23, because when we read this, we recognize exactly what was going on. The Lord says, as I live, I pardon them according to your word, Moses. But truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. So God's saying, you're not going in, you're not going to possess the land, because you didn't pass the test. In fact, you test, you're testing me now. You're testing my patience is what God says to them. And how was it that they tested him? Numbers 14, verse 11 is clear. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people test me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I've done among them? 
I've done all these signs. I've been with them. I've been faithful. But yet they still don't trust me. They still don't believe me. When they were in Egypt, I sent 10 plagues. I showed them my glory. I showed them my power. Then I brought them out of the wilderness. And while they were in the wilderness, 10 times I tested them. 10 times I put them to the test to see whether they would listen to me, obey me, or trust me or not. So what are those testings? Well, let's look at here in Meribah, in Exodus 17, verse 7. God says that the place would call Massah and Meribah, so it means test and arguing. The place that they would, God says this place is to be called Massah, the place of testing and the place of arguing. Why? Because the, peace, the people of Israel argued with Moses, right? But what did they do? They tested the Lord. Wow. And how did they test him? By saying, is the Lord with us here or not? Is he with us? Where are you, God? Like, guys, they had witnessed 20 miracles. This is 20 miracles. They had seen the 10 plagues in Egypt. Now this is the 10th time that God had revealed his glory to them in the wilderness, and they're still doubting. Let's look at the 10 testings really quickly. The first one is in Exodus 14, 10 through 12, at the Red Sea where it seemed that Pharaoh's army would destroy them. They complained. They whinged. They whined. They said, oh, you know, take us back to Egypt. Why did you bring us out to destroy us in the wilderness? God opened up the Red Sea and was faithful. They doubted. He brought them through. Secondly, at Merah, there was bitter water. They complained. Why have you brought us here? God, why do we have this bitter water? Why is it that we have this bitter experience? Why is this happening in our lives? But God gave them fresh water. Thirdly, in the desert of sin, as they hungered. Here they are. They're hungry. What are we going to do? Where is God? Has he forsaken us? He's left us. Where did he go? Why do we have to go through this? So what did God do? He ended up giving them manna. He fed them. In the desert of sin, as they paid no attention to Moses concerning the storing of the manna until the morning, God gave them very practical instruction. This is what you're supposed to do about with the manna. Listen to me. Obey me. He was testing them to see whether they would follow his instruction. And they said, oh, no, you know what? It's okay. We're going to do this. And God says, that's it. You see, you disobeyed me. I told you what to do, and you wanted to do it your way. You wouldn't listen to me. You wouldn't do it my way. Fifthly, in the desert of sin, as they disregarded Moses concerning the gathering of the manna on the seventh day. You know, don't, don't gather it on the seventh day. What did they do? They went out to gather manna on the seventh day. Tested God. God's like, again, he's like, why do you guys keep doing this? I've told you. I've been clear to you. Why do you keep doing this? Why are you testing me? Why don't you trust me? Why won't you obey me? Why don't you believe me? Wow. Then... Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and what ends up happening while he's on top of the mountain is it specifically says that his return was delayed. How many love delays? How many recognize and realize that delay isn't necessarily denial? But yet what ends up happening is Aaron leads the people in making a golden calf. God's left us. He's forsaken us. So let's make this golden calf and worship God. Ooh, that was not a good thing to do. The fiery judgment of God fell upon them. 
Then eighthly, Numbers 11, 1 through 3 at Tabera, where the people, they were incensed. They were angry with God. They raged against God. Where are you? Why don't you? And God's like, man, you don't trust me? You don't believe me? I've done all these things. I've proven myself faithful to you. And yet you complain. You doubt. You don't trust me. Number nine, at Kibroth Hateva, and the grumbling provoked by the rabble for quail. Okay, Moses, manna again? Can't we have something different? We want some fried chicken. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you quail, and you're going to eat it till it comes out of your nostrils. It's going to be a repulsive to you, right? I mean, there's some foods that I can eat at once, and then the next day, it's good. I like the leftovers, and there's some foods I can't do it. It's just like, that's just nasty. And God is like, don't you trust me? Why are you complaining? Why don't you recognize that I'm going to take care of you? Why aren't you content? And then lastly, in Numbers 14 at Kadesh, in the desert of Paran, when the people refused to receive the good, poor, the good report of Joshua and Caleb, but rather wished themselves dead. Here they are, about to cross over into the promised land. The Lord sends out 12 spies. They're dispatched. Ten come back with a negative report. Two come back with a, a report of faith, Joshua and Caleb. And the negative report is, man, there's giants in that land. I mean, those people are massive. The walls are fortified. God has brought us out to destroy us. Like, come on, guys. All the faithfulness of God in your life and all the t things that he's done and how he's looked after you and taken care of you, and then the next trial that you face, it's like, where is God? Why am I going through this? I'm going to go down for the count. And we doubt. We don't trust him. We murmur. We complain. And it was murmuring and complaining that kept them out from the promised land. It was the tongue which manifested what they were thinking, what was in their heart. The lesson is, God said, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Why don't you believe in me? Why won't you trust me? So finally, in Numbers 14, 11, the Lord cries out, how long? Repeatedly, the Lord had demonstrated his faithfulness in each trial they experienced. However, as soon as Israel encountered their next difficult situation, they forgot about the faithfulness of God. They grumbled. They complained. So our response to this, consider how we maybe are put the Lord to the test at times. Do we? You know, we read about God's faithfulness in the Word. We, we see his hand of protection and provision over our lives. But then things just don't go the way that we hoped they would go. And what do we do? Where's God? Why am I going through this? Why is it so difficult? And we grumble and we complain. But yet God says, I want you even though it doesn't look good in the natural, even though you may not know what to do, I want you to trust me. Have I ever let you down? Have I ever forsaken you? I was there with you in your darkest hour. I was there when you didn't know what to do, where to turn. 
I've been with you. Don't complain, which is a manifestation of a lack of trust. Because you see, when we think about things in the natural, the Bible says in Colossians 3, verse 5, that as Christians, we shouldn't be covetous. And it says covetousness is idolatry. What does that mean? That being covetous means that we are actually wanting, wanting. But you remember it says in Hebrews 13, be content with what you have. But what does it say in the very next verse? For he himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Why are we to be content? Because he is with us. And he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Just like Israel was tested in the wilderness, and as Israel faced dilemmas and circumstances and trials, and, and it, it, they didn't know what to do, and it didn't look good, then they, and God came through, and, and he bailed them out, and he provided for them. God's saying, I'm with you. Trust me. Worship me. Believe in me. So, Remember, going back to what the Lord spoke through Moses. Say to Pharaoh, let my people go, so they will learn to worship me. Where? In the wilderness. I'm going to close with this. In the wilderness, they will worship me in the wilderness. What does that mean? In the wilderness was the dry time. It was the time of difficulty. It was the most difficult experience that they would go through. God is saying to you and to me that until you learn to worship me in the wilderness, in your most difficult times, in the times when you don't know what to do, when you're confused, when you're disoriented, when, when maybe you're in pain, maybe when you're struggling, I want you to learn to worship me in that time of hardship. I want you to trust me in your pain, in your problems. I want you to worship me in that season and say, how great is my God. Sing with me, how great is my God. Even though it, I don't know what's going on, even though it doesn't look good in the natural, I'm going to worship him. I'm going to say, how great is my God? Because my God is a good God. My God will never leave me or never forsake me. He has a plan, and he's going to bring me through this. He's going to take me, the same God that enabled David to kill the bear and then the lion and the giant, the same God, he's with you and me now, and he was with us in the past. And, and he's saying, if you would just trust me, trust me in your difficulty, then allow me to because I am going to test you. I am going to prove you. I'm going to bring you into a place where, where you don't understand what's going on, where it doesn't make sense, where your natural tendency is to, you know, to go into anxiety and what do I do? And God's saying, worship me. Come on, give the devil a headache. Give him a headache. Worship me. Don't faint. Don't stress. Worship. Praise him in the wilderness. Celebrate the goodness of God in your difficult times. And as you do, God's saying, you're going to pass the test. And I'm going to take you 
to the next level. And guess what? At the next level, there's going to be another giant. There's going to be another test. But this time, because of my faithfulness and your obedience to trust me, you're going to overcome the next test. God, I don't want any tests. Can I just tell you, you might as well just wake up because there's going to be more tests, okay? It's not, an, it's guys, it isn't optional. You're going to be tested. Maybe you're being tested now. Guess what? You're going to pass this test, and there's going to be another test. There's going to be another test. How are you going to respond to the test? Don't test him. Don't test him. Ten times they tested me. Ten times they complained. Ten times they failed to trust me in their dark and difficult hours. Therefore, they're not going into the promised land. The next generation will. Perhaps the reason why we haven't fully possessed the promises and experienced all that God has for us is because we've not yet passed the test. Amen? Let's stand together, please. We're going to pray. Entering rest. Entering rest. Rest, guys. Can you take a deep breath right now? Right? Just say, thank you, Jesus. Wow. The Spirit of God, right? The Ruach HaKedesh, which means the Holy Spirit, the breath of life. The Holy Spirit is the breath of life. The Holy Spirit is the one who breathes into us life. The one who breathes into us peace, who calms the storm, who makes wars to cease. Enter rest. Trust him. Trust him. He's faithful. He's never let you down. He's there. Trust him. Trust him. He's going to bring you through. He is not going to leave you to die in the wilderness. He's going to bring you through. If you'll trust him, if you'll believe him, if you'll obey him, he'll bring you into the fullness of his purpose and plan for your life. Come on, let's just begin to worship the Lord. Worship me in the wilderness, the Lord would say. Worship me in the difficult and dry seasons of your life. Worship me when things don't make sense. Come on. The King. Let's sing hell. El Todos Hablamos McDonald's Deal. Porque cuando están decidiendo qué ordenar y la tía Carmen te dice, McNuggets, mijo, y una de las hamburguesas con esa salsita, ¿sabes? Ya tú sabes que eso significa una Big Mac. Y lo sabes porque tú también amas esa salsita. Hay un meal para cada cena familiar en McDonald's. Ordena por anticipado por el app de McDonald's y llévate dos de tus favoritos, como McNuggets de 10 piezas y una Big Mac por solo 6 dólares. Precios y participación pueden variar. Producto individual a precio regular. Coda has a new way to pay. Now you can use the Transit mobile app to plan, track, and pay for your Coda ride. For a limited time, everyone who creates a Coda account in the Transit app will get a $4.50 credit. What are you waiting for? Download the Transit app today.